All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Psalms chapter 12. Psalms chapter 12, and we'll begin reading in verse 6 and verse 7. Psalms 12, verse 6 and 7. We're going to finish up a message that we began this morning. With the help of the Lord, we'll do that. Uh, but let's read the scripture first, and then we'll bring some comments and continue on our thought and our message tonight concerning the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible. The Bible says in chapter 12 and verse 6, says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve. Mark that. That's an important word. Preserve them from this generation forever. Let's read that last verse one more time. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them, them meaning the words of the Lord. And it says, from this generation forever. Psalms 119, tonight we read that this morning, but we'll read again tonight because I want you to, I want to put it together with this. Psalms 119 verse 160. Thy word is true. From the beginning, wherever that beginning is, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Amen. So we see forever. We have a beginning point, and we have a, a time where we start in a time of no ending with what? with the preservation of God's Word tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, this very serious and sober subject tonight, God has been great controversy for many, many years. Lord, it's been, God, where churches have split, families have divided, and preachers have quit over these very subjects tonight in which we're mentioning. God, these are very serious uh, words. They're very serious subject tonight that we need to make clear. God, that we've got to bring understanding to. God, we can't at all bring doubt, dear God, or we can't have uh, time, God, we don't know if we have the Bible or not. God, we, we can't have tonight, dear God, uh, any doubt tonight, Lord, or any question tonight, Lord, is the Bible really true? Is it really Without error tonight, is it really from God? God, we've got to be confident and with full emotiveness tonight and to understand and make it clear that what we have is the pure Word of God tonight. And may it be so tonight that we may have this truth presented to us and believed upon in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now this morning we talked about the perfection of the Bible, of the Holy Bible. We found this perfection in Psalms 19.7. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. We also found that the law, that the perfection of the Holy Bible is perfect, but it's pure. And we've seen that in Psalms 12.6. The words of the Lord are pure words. We found in Psalms 119 verse 88 that the word of, of the Holy Spirit tonight is placed. It says, O Lord, forever is thy word settled in heaven. 
And we talked about that. And we talked about Revelation 21, verse 27. I'll read it to you. And there shall no, in no wise enter into anything that, that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. We find tonight there will be nothing in heaven that is defileth, that is what the Bible would call an abomination or a lie. That means if this Bible you have in your hand is settled in heaven, friend, tonight it cannot have a lie. It cannot be defiled and it cannot be adultery. It cannot tonight be abominable. And tonight that brings rest assurance in my heart about the perfection of the Holy Bible. There's no errors. There's, it's infallible. It will not fail. It's inspired. Tonight it's just clear in my heart and my mind that I have a Bible in my hand uh, that's not written by man, that it's not given by man, and that there's no man's touch. For everything man touches falls. Everything man touches is, is, finds defilement. But man has kept out and kept away from this Bible in which we have tonight. It is the perfection of the Holy Bible. Number two, we talked about the inspiration of the Holy Bible. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means that the Scripture we have tonight has been given by God. That means tonight that it's been breathed by God. God spoke it into existence. God was the one who breathed the words. Every single word of the Word of God has been breathed by God into existence. It has given by God, and we're so grateful for that. It's moved and for, in 2 Timothy and 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. The Bible says that God uh, has, with holy men, moved by the Holy Ghost of God as they spoke. And we find tonight uh, that that is the inspiration of the Holy Bible. Then we found the confirmation of the Holy Bible this morning. We found in Luke 24, 27, and 44, Jesus confirms its accuracy of the Old Testament. We are sure tonight that the Old Testament is accurate. No fallacies, no, no errors, no troubles, uh, no problems with the Old Testament. We find that the New Testament confirms the Old Testament accuracies, and we found that Jesus confirms the New Testament accuracies as well. In John 14, 26, he says the Holy Spirit of God will lead. In John 16, 13, he said the Holy Spirit of God will guide. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 14, he said the Holy Spirit will teach. The Holy Ghost of God is what moved these holy men to write what God breathed, what God, what God said. Let me just kind of tell you here tonight in, in kind of a way of a thought that I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but in 2024, would it be fair or would it be godlike tonight that we wouldn't have a Bible? It wouldn't be fair, would it? Because in the Old Testament, and from Genesis to all the way to Malachi, we found that those people had the Word of God because God spoke to them. Right? We have all kind of incidents. i got all kind of scripture tonight where it says, Thus saith the Lord. The Lord said. And God was speaking to men verbally. 
Man, God was speaking to, to, to people. Amen. He was telling them what to do and how to do it. God would speak to Abraham. Abraham would speak to others. God would speak to Moses, and Moses would speak to others. God would speak to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, on and on and on. In the Old Testament, uh, those people had the word of God. Now, that I would say, friend, that's fair. We go to the New Testament. We find in the New Testament that what Jesus spoke was the Scriptures. Right. We found that in John chapter 7 and verse 38 where they said that when Jesus said that he will resurrect, then it goes and said, we believe the Scriptures, which is the words in which he said. We also found in John chapter 4 uh, that Jesus, uh, Jesus said about the living water. And he said again in, about the living water in chapter 4, but there in chapter 7, John, he talks about, about what the Scriptures has saith, about the, the, the living waters flowing out of the belly. Mm -hmm. And we can't find any Scriptures at all prior to that except what Jesus said in John chapter 4. It's telling us today that the New Testament believers during the period of Jesus tonight had the Word of God because Jesus was there. And when Jesus spoke, it was God breathed because he's God. It was God spoken into existence. And when Jesus spoke, those people had the word of God. And then we find you go to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit of God came. And they were in the apostles' doctrine. And then you go to, to, to Acts chapter 10, and we find uh, that the Scriptures was given, the Word of God was given. And we go chapter 11 in Antioch. Uh, they were first called Christians there. And then verse chapter 12, it says that the Word of God grew and multiplied. Chapter 13, it says the Word of God was published. So we're talking about a period of time that they had the Word of God. Now tonight... Wouldn't it be to God that we would have the Word of God? I mean, it would just be the Word of God and God's promise to us and God's assurance to us that in 2024 that you and I can rest assured that there is a Word of God out here. Amen. If they had it then and they had it there and surely because of the promise of God tonight we would have it too. What kind of God would we serve tonight when he'd give them to the Old Testament and give them to the New Testament and then we'd get to 2024 and we don't have a Bible? Tonight I don't see it that way, do you? Again, we come to another situation. Is in 2024 and prior, there's no originals. So everything that has been inspired from the 40 writers for the 1,500-year period over three continents and three languages, we find tonight that whenever God spoke that into existence, immediately they began to copy it with their handwriting and began to pass it out, began to pass it out. And that very copy that was inspired, the words that were inspired, no doubt went all through the country, all through the area in which they were in, and then all of a sudden, it was put on papyrus or it was put on animal skins, amen? Uh, they didn't have what we have today as far as paper is concerned. And so we find that the originals tonight cannot be found anywhere. Right. But don't we have a promise from God to have a Bible in 2024? Amen? amen. amen. And so tonight, we're going to try to bring to you 
up to date on what God did so that in 2024 we can have a Bible. Now I want to show you tonight the very preservation of the Holy Bible. Now I'm going to tell you how important the preservation is tonight. Without the preservation of the Holy Bible, friend, there is no need for the inspiration of the Bible. If the Bible was not preserved, then the inspiration of it went to none effect. In other words, what God is saying was, uh, back there in those days, in that time, from 1400 period of B.C. all the way to 45 A.D., when I breathed upon these holy men, and they pinned down these words, and these words were uh, inspired of me, and then when they lost them, or when they deteriorated, or when they were put out, or they put away, or whatever happened to the originals that was uh, the ones that they breathed out, uh, and then that's it. Sorry, folks. It's over. No more for anybody. But that cannot be so. Because the Bible says in the scripture that he's preserved his word from this generation forever. So it's telling me tonight that there is a Bible out here that is preserved. The words are preserved. And so for I, we, we find tonight with God, and he never lies, and he never, never not fulfills his promise tonight, I want you to notice that a manuscript tonight is uh, what they had uh, after they made copies. See, a manuscript tonight is a handwritten document. And back then, on the originals, they were handwriting those in the ways of copies. And they were called manuscripts. And they would copy the originals on a manuscript. Now this was a difficult way of doing things because you had to handwrite it. And so whatever God had breathed out to say John, then somebody else had to write that out to make a copy of it. That means every word had to be the same. That means every dot, every comma, every semicolon, I mean, there's absolutely, have you ever tried to copy a letter word for word? That's difficult. I mean, it always seems you always miss a word or you seem to add a word or you, did, you missed a period or you didn't miss an explanation mark or you didn't hit that, uh, that, that question mark. Something seems, to, it's not an exact copy, Right? And so we find tonight the, the understanding, the very difficulty of doing that. So they had to have handwriting documents of the originals of Hebrew and Aramaic and also of Greek. Now I want to quickly just make mention of the Old Testament uh, manuscripts uh, uh, that came forth, the copies of the originals. Uh, they were of the Masoretes, the Masoretic text, you could call it. Uh, the Jewish scribes, known as the Masoretes, they followed strict rules from 50 A.D. to 1000 A.D. in Tiberias and Babylon and Jerusalem. They copied and preserved the Hebrew Old Testament and known as the Masoretic text. That's in the Hebrew. That was the Hebrews. Uh, they took the Hebrew original language and they and they copy them in manuscripts in Hebrew language. It's easy to copy. Uh, well, I say it's easy. It's not that easy, but it's easier to take Hebrew and copy it in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. 
than to take Hebrew and copy it in Latin or copy it in, uh, in English or something like that. So we find in the Old Testament, now we've already identified the Old Testament being, being already perfect because Jesus quoted them. Because the New Testament quoted it. And it has to be the same. It has to be the very thing that God had breathed is the very words that has been preserved. Amen? And so if Jesus in the, Old, in the New Testament is going to, to quote these people, is going to quote these verses and quote this Bible, we know assured tonight without getting deep into this side of the Old Testament that it is the book, it is the word, it is the God that has breathed in the Old Testament scriptures, the Masoretic text tonight, and that is where the King James Bible is translated from. All right, get that. The King James Version Bible is translated from the Masoretic text. Okay, so we find no problem with that. The argument is not there. We see that that's clear and that's plain and we're good to go. Now, the New Testament manuscripts is not like that. The New Testament manuscripts were in Greek. This is where most people have problems at it. Most people have difficulties with uh, most people say, well, I'm not real sure if this is the case tonight in the New Testament. Uh, Y'all know, I know, everybody knows tonight uh, that there is more Bibles out there than the, than the King James Version Bible. Amen? I mean, tonight, if I'd ask each one of y'all to make a, give me a Bible, you would tell me. NIV, uh, NS, NSAB, Living Bible, World Translation. I mean, we can go all the way through the room and, and there would probably, everybody could get, get one. There's hundreds of translations, amen? And so, for it, and all of them have Holy Bible on the, on the binder of it. And, and all of them say that this is the Word of God. And, and all of them say this is what God has given. But all of them are not true. All of them are not the Bible. Now, the King James Version Bible is one of these Bibles, that in churches tonight, in homes tonight, and people read tonight. And so what are you saying, Brother Larry? I'm saying tonight that there's a Bible out there. I am giving it to you that it's the King James Version Bible, but I'm telling you where it all began, and it all began with manuscripts. Manuscripts. And so we're going to give forth the manuscript of where the, the King James Version Bible came from. Now, I'm going to give another message another day, maybe next Sunday night, on where the other Bibles, beside the King James Version Bible, where their texts come from. And we're going to compare it and let us see so that we'll have the knowledge of both texts. Tonight, we need to find out how and where did the King James Version Bible come from. If I'm going to stake my eternity on it, if I'm going to say this is the pure, unadulterated, infallible, inerrant, preserved Word of God, I've got to know I'm telling the truth. Because if it's not, and there's something that's wrong, I could die and go to hell. That's how serious it is tonight. In this Bible. We find tonight, I want to show you, first of all, all we have again, let me say it again, there are no Greek-inspired scriptures. 
All we have are manuscripts. That means they're handwritten documents from the originals. We do have a Bible verse that tells us that God will preserve the Word of God. Telling us tonight that whatever was inspired is preserved. Amen. Every word that God and the 40 men in which he gave, every word is going to be preserved. Amen. So that tells me I've got a Bible out here somewhere that it is the preserved word of God. And I submit to you tonight it's the King James Bible. Now, in order for me to get to where I need to go tonight, we're going to have to look at the history of Rome for just a moment, the Roman Empire, because it was mildly important for this to understand where we got our Bible from. It's because of this Roman Empire. Now, you know tonight that if you ever study anything about Rome or Roman Empire, uh, they were a mess. They were very cruel. They were very mean. Uh, they were very dictatorship. Uh, they got hooked up with the very Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church in Rome came together as a state church, as a one church. And Constantine was the one who brought that marriage together. And we find tonight it all started right in that same area. But I want you to notice tonight that in 286 A.D., we're going way back, that the Roman Empire split. It split into two. The Roman Empire has now the Eastern Empire and has the Western Empire. The Eastern Empire is Byzantine and the Western Empire is going to be Alexandria. Amen? That's where it's going to come from. On the Eastern side of the empire, we find that they are going to speak Greek, and on the western side of the empire, they speak Latin. And we find that these are going to be important informations. Now, 286, they split into two, eastern and western. In 476 A.D., the western empire came to an end. No longer was it there, even though they had some things still going on, but it wasn't the empire that it was. The Eastern Empire is known as the Byzantine Empire. The capital of the Byzantine Empire is Constantinople. Being Constantinople, the common language is Greek. The, and the fall, the fall of Byzantine Empire was 1453 A.D. It's an important number, 1453 A.D. And so we find that in 325 A.D., a Roman emperor named Constantine established Christianity as Rome's official religion. And what I mean by that is this, is here was the gospel being preached. Here was Paul going out and all to the worlds and all to the regions. And he, he came out of Antioch. And coming out of Antioch, he went into places in this and that and yonder. And then next thing you know tonight, as the Christians, the true church, was marching on to Jesus, next thing you know, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, hijacked. Hijacked the church. And he said to the church, he said, church, you and I are going to be married. 
and you and I are going to be Rome, and it was the first emperor of Rome that was friendly to the Christians. Now, this is important. The Christians had been friendly, many friendly people to them at all, right? I mean, when the Christians came forth uh, there, we find that uh, they were crucified by the Jewish. The Jews, Paul, Saul, he was persecuting the church. And so the Jews were taking and persecuting the Christians. Next thing you know, the Romans are persecuting the Christians. And next thing you know, friend, uh, the Catholic Church was persecuting the Christians. Because now the church has called the Catholic Church, and now you have the Protestants. So now there's a division. And it was during this period of time in 325 A.D. that he said to the church, he said, I'm your friend. And me and you are going to be gathered together. And he chose the first pope. He began to bring forth all that we might see of the Catholic Church tonight in the way that it was. And so we see the history of the Roman Empire in 325, the church, which was taken on the Catholic Church. That's when the church started. The Catholic Church started, not the true church. The true church came out of the day of Pentecost and came through from Jerusalem down to Antioch. And out of Antioch, it went into the world. But this Catholic Church began in, in the Rome, in the Eastern Rome here of this day, 325 A.D. Mark that down. That's not the true church. The true church is where it was there way before that church ever started. So now we have, that's what the Catholic Church, what Catholic means tonight. It means universal. And when, whenever Constantine looked at his Roman Empire and said, everybody is Catholic. Well, there's problems. There's problems in doctrine with that. We won't get into that tonight. Uh, but there was difficulties and troubles. That's the history of Roman Empire that I want to show you tonight. I'm talking about the Holy Bible. Number two. I want you to notice the history of the text. I want you to notice tonight that there was a man that got saved. His name was Lucian of Antioch. Now, does Antioch ring a bell to anybody? Does Antioch at all kind of throw up some flags and say, wow, Antioch, that's where they were first called Christians in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And Antioch is whenever in chapter 13 when the Holy Ghost of God said unto Saul and Barnabas and said, separate unto me. The Bible says that they prayed and laid hands on them and sent them out. Where from? Antioch. And all of a sudden this man, Lucian, from Antioch gets saved. And when he gets saved, you'll find that this man here uh, in the Byzantine manuscripts or the Syrian manuscripts, he adopted them in 380 A.D. See, if it wasn't for Constantine in 325 being so friendly, but because he was friendly, it opened the door so that we can have our Bible and Lucian of Antioch was the one who gathered up all the manuscripts. And there's about 6,000 manuscripts that was Byzantine texts. 
When I say Byzantine text, I'm talking about the text uh, that was written that were copies of the originals. All right? So he, he brought all these copies in, and uh, he brought forth that, and it's called Byzantine text. We find that Constantine, whenever he done that, he ordered 50 Bibles of this Bible. And uh, it was given to all that were there, 50 of them was. And for four centuries, this Bible, this Lucian Bible was a Greek Bible because that's all the manuscripts were in. And now we have this text called the Byzantine text. God secured the Byzantine text for over a thousand years in this eastern Rome for a thousand years. And what you say, what are you saying, brother? I'm saying this. For a thousand years, the other places of Rome were attacking the true Christians. The Catholic Church was persecuting the true Christians. In doing that, God has set aside in Byzantine, and that Byzantine with Constantine saying, listen, I want the church to be the, the, the Rome. That's what I want. Now, that was wrong, and that's Catholic, and that's not all what it is. But at the same time, God had kept for a thousand years this Byzantine text, that Lucian of Antioch. Where do you think Lucian of Antioch got, that, got those manuscripts? From Antioch. That's where it was going. So from Antioch, Lucian brought these manuscripts. He put it together in a Greek, in a Greek New Testament. And now we have these manuscripts, the Byzantines. And for a thousand years, and in 1453, you know what happened in 1453? The fall of the Byzantine Empire. So God had protected and kept and made sure that this, this text, this Byzantine text, was secure and put in safety in 14 or 15, or 1453, the Byzantine uh, Empire fell. But in 1454, there was the Glutenberg printer press. Now, what big is that? Well, I'm just saying tonight uh, that God has uh, all for a thousand years brought this Byzantine text and kept it safe coming out of Antioch. And all of a sudden, a Byzantine falls and a man, and a man out of Germany makes a printing press. Up to this point here, all it was was handwriting, right? Transcript, tran manuscripts, manuscripts, manuscripts. And boy, everybody's just writing manuscripts, manuscripts, manuscripts. And now, a year after Roman Empire on the eastern side fell, God sent a man out of Germany with a mind to have a printing press. <laughs> oh, then God not only saved a man, Lucian of Antioch, because that's where all the manuscripts were at, and then he saved another man, uh, named Erasmus. And Erasmus, Fred, he was in 1515, he provided the world with a printed New Testament in Greek. 
Now, where did Erasmus get all his manuscripts? He got seven manuscripts from Lucian. He got it from the Byzantine text. And so we find tonight, here we got is a Greek printed, Greek printed text. Never had this before in entire history. And where did it come from? It came from the manuscripts of the originals Amen. down in Antioch. Glory to God. Well, we're in a good trail. Amen. We find that this right here is called, this text here is called the Texas Receptus. This text is called the traditional text. It's called the majority text. Because 98% of the manuscripts of this, of Lucian, of Lucian, the, the Antioch, and that what Erasmus put together in this Greek Bible, or this Greek text called the Texas Receptus, 98% of all of those manuscripts are greed. Ain't that something? 2% didn't agree, and we're going to talk about those 2% next Sunday. In 1516, it was completed, this Texas Receptus, which is the Erasmus text. So he took the Lucian text, he gathered up from Antioch, he put them together, he knew Greek, he was a scholar, and next thing you know, we have a text. Old Testament, New Testament. Amen? And we find tonight uh, that in 1519, uh, there was additions made to it, like they changed the fonts, or they may have put capital letters at the beginning of every sentence. And guess what? 1516, it's now completed. Erasmus got saved and come forth, and now we have the father of the Texas Receptus that came from Lucian the Antioch, and those came from the manuscripts that were copies of the originals in Antioch. Praise the Lord. In 1517, know anything will happen in 1517, anybody? The Reformation. Now, isn't that, isn't that kind of uh, lucky <laughs> that Whenever the Bible, the Texas Receptus, the, the text that the King James Version is translated from, that 1517 was the reformation of the Protestants breaking out of the Catholic Church and going their way and doing their own thing and believing in the Bible, and God provided the text. It would have been a great mess. It would have been a great confusion if they didn't have the Texas Receptus or the traditional text or the majority text at the time of the Reformation. But because they have the text, because they have it from Lucian of Antioch, because they have the written, uh, the, written, uh, autog uh, the written autographs, you'd say, and it came from the originals there, now the Reformation took place. Is it coincidence tonight that in 1453, that Rome would fall. 1454, Glutenberg, the press, would begin to, press, begin to print all over the world the Greek text. And is it just a coincidence that in 1517, the Reformation took place, but 1516, Erasmus text was completed? Is that just coincidence? We find tonight the first Bible that came out of this text of the B 
Byzantine text, the Erasmus text. It's called the Tyndale Bible. God saved William Tyndale. In 1522, the first Bible that was translated from Greek to English that was ever printed. The first Bible. From English to Greek that was translated from the Texas Receptus, which the Texas Receptus was gathered by Erasmus by Lucian of Antioch. And Lucian of Antioch got the manuscripts from Antioch. I keep on saying that because I want you to keep on knowing it. We find tonight that this William Tyndale uh, in 1436, I believe it was, that he was one that came forth and brought this Tyndale Bible. In 1438, I believe it is, he died. You know how he died? The classic, in 1536 it was, he died. And he was burned on a stake by the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church said this, we don't want no Bible of English so that anybody can know what the Bible says. Up to this point, all they had was Latin. And they would take Latin, and all they would speak is Latin. And all they would have is Latin. And Latin this, and Latin that. And friend, uh, friend, nobody knew Latin, and nobody wanted to know Latin. But friend, they needed a Bible in Greek, and it came out of the Texas Receptus. And friend, he died two years later after his Bible, Tyndale Bible, was completed just because he translated from the Greek to the English. So the Tyndale Bible, number one. I need you to keep count. That's number one. God saved another man named Miles Coverdale. He lived from 1488 to 1569. Coverdale was called the Coverdale Bible, and he translated that Bible from Tyndale because he worked with Tyndale on the Bible. On Tyndale's Bible, he worked with it. But Tyndale, he was murdered. And he was the one who come through and finished up his Bible. And he was the one, because while he was in prison, Tyndale was in prison, he translated uh, the Genesis all the way down to Second Chronicles, and he translated Jonah as well and all the New Testament. And Miles Coverdale finished all of that for him, and he called it the Coverdale Bible because it was a study Bible in English. So we have number one, a Tyndale Bible taken from Texas Receptus. And now number two, we have the Coverdale Bible. He worked with Tyndale. He finished up his Bible and he put some study notes in there and he called it the Coverdale Bible. So it's taken, it's really taken the Greek Bible that was into English and now he's kind of, kind of making it better. Let's say that. Making it better. So we find Number three, God saved a man named John Rogers, 1500 to 1555. This is the third Bible called the Matthews Bible. It was published in 1537. He called it the Matthews Bible. He was influenced by Tyndale as well. Tyndale told him one day, examine the scriptures. He began to examine the scriptures. He got saved. He used Tyndale's and Coverdale's text. He received the Old Testament books from Tyndale while he was in prison. 
The Matthew Bible was a study Bible. In 1555, he was burned to the stake for making a translation of his Bible by the Catholics. God saved another man. Or God, God rose up another Bible called the Great Bible. This is Bible number four. Matthew, or this John Rogers, was persecuted by Rome. He fled to France. When he got to France, they come and took him and put him in jail. They took 25,000 Bibles, 2,500 Bibles he had, and they burned them. And Fred, it was the great Bible because of the size of it, because the, the Coverdale-sized Bible was small, and this great Bible was big. But he had to run for his life, for translating. The same text, Texas Receptus, Tyndale. We find Coverdale, Matthews, great Bible, just getting bigger, just getting better. Copies were made and all through England. And they were, they were placed in parishes and in churches all over England. But they were chained to the pews so nobody would steal them. Because everybody wanted a Bible back then. They wanted that Bible. Number five, God saved another man. And there was a Geneva Bible, which is the fifth Bible, that came out of this line of Bibles from being Greek to English. For this Bible was made because of the English refugees that were fleeing from Queen Mary. Y'all remember Bloody Mary? This was her. In 1556, uh, the Spanish Bible was translated for the first time. 1557, the New Testament of the Geneva Bible. Then 1560, the entire Bible was translated. And, and it was this Bible here that was carried to America with the first settlers coming to America was this Geneva Bible. And so we find that's how America got through this Bible. The sixth Bible was called the Bishop's Bible. God raised up this Bible in 1568. The Church of England wanted a Bible to compete with the Genova Bible, or Geneva Bible. They didn't want that Bible. They wanted another one to compete with it. And so they came up with this Bishop's Bible. They wanted to replace the Great Bible too because it was too big. And it was translated by men that were persecuted for their faith. And so we find the Bishop's Bible. That's number six. So we look back and we say, where do these Bibles come from in the English uh, language? Well, it came out of the Texas Receptus, right, from Erasmus. And Tyndale took Erasmus' text called the Texas Receptus, and he began to have a Bible, Tyndale. Tyndale Bible 1, Coverdale Bible 2, Matthew Bible 3, Great Bible 4, Geneva Bible 5. The Bishop's Bible number 6. I want you to look in our text tonight in, in Psalms chapter 12 and look in verse 6. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. Do you know what the seventh Bible is of the Texas Receptus of the Greek of the English language? You know what Bible that is? You got it. The King James. The seventh Bible. Was that coincidence? That kind of just happened. Oh, no. 
That's God. That's God whenever he began there back there in 268 whenever you had this eastern and you had this western and God raised up Lucian and Lucian come in and then folded in 476 and it was all divided up, amen. And we find there in 1453 it come to an end of that Roman Empire. And then 1455, 44, there's a printing press. And next thing you know, you got Greek Bibles going all over the world. <laughs> and now there's been six of them that's been in print. And they just improved each time. It's like, it's like God putting that fire, putting Tyndale's in a fire. Cloverdale's in a fire. Amen. Matthew's in a fire. Great Bible in a fire. You follow me? He gets to the seventh one, and it's the King James Bible. How God worked all this out in the Roman Empire, and he worked it all out within the people that he saved and raised up and gave them the scholarship, gave them the understanding of Greek, gave them the, the very mind. That was necessary. And they loved God. And died on a stake. Burning. For the word of God tonight. Now I want to talk about thirdly. The preserved authoritative. Holy Bible. James Stewart. Was born 1566. Anybody know who James Stewart is? No he ain't the. uh, The guy who plays on the movies out there. James Stewart. It's King James. He was born in 1566. Now listen closely here because this again is God bringing us the Bible that we have today. 1566, he was born. Now he was born to his mother who was Mary, Queen of Scotland. Now she was married to a man called Henry Stewart. They had a baby named James Stewart. In 1566, she, Mary, had an affair with another man. This other man killed Henry Stewart, which was King James's father. Well, Elizabeth was the queen of England. Remember now, Mary was the queen of Scotland. And then Elizabeth, the queen of of, uh, England, they were cousins. And at the same time, she, Elizabeth, got upset about all the things that were going on and even heard that Mary was trying to assassinate her and all this kind of junk that goes on with the kings. If you ever read that, you'll find what I'm talking about. So Elizabeth ordered her execution. And so Mary is executed. At 13 months, King James Stewart is king. What are you going to do at 13 months? So, now we're talking about the King James Bible, and up to this point right here, there ain't been one king in line who cared about the the Bible. All of a sudden, King James, James Stewart, 13 months old, and they ordered, or they, they submitted to a man called George Buchanan. Now, George Buchanan was the scholar of that day. He was the one tonight who loved God. He loved the Word of God. He loved the Lord. And he was given 
For at the age of four years old, all the way to the age of 17, he was the one uh, that was the regent, which means he was the one that was the teacher of James, King James. And so for four years old to 17 years old, this man, uh, Buchanan, taught King James every day the Word of God. Every day read him the Scripture. Every day gave him what God is. Every day taught him how to be a man, taught him how to be a godly man. Every day for 14 years. Is that coincidence? That our King James Bible, God's got to get it to us somewhere down the line because he promised we would get one. And all of a sudden, this orphan boy, no mama and no daddy, and God allowed that if God didn't bring that. So that this George McCann, because if he lived with his mother and lived with his daddy, he'd have never had the education. He'd never, never know the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. King James was a godly man. Amen. George Buchanan was a man who taught him. So now he grew up at 17 years old. He was saved. He went to church twice on Sunday. James I'm talking about James Stewart, the 17-year-old boy called King James. He went to church twice on Sunday. He had Christian values. He has knowledge and memorization of the Word of God. James becomes king of England in 1604. And because he became king of England in 1604 is because his, his cousin Elizabeth died. And he was the next in line. So he became king in 1604. In 1604, uh, again, he went to church twice on Sunday. He would call the preachers in of all the Puritans of that day, and they would come and preach three times a week inside of this King James's people. He wrote a book to his sons. In that book, he told them, he wrote to them how to live for God, how to be a godly king, how to serve honestly and respectfully to your people. He wrote a book to his children, how to be a godly king and love God and love Jesus and love the Lord and love the Word of God. The problem of that day that the Puritans and the Catholics were at it. And so, as he was coming down from Scotland, coming to England, there was another man that God raised up named John Reynolds. And John Reynolds goes to the king and says to the king, King, I've got a thousand, I got a thousand signatures on a petition that you would raise up a new English translation. King James said, that's what I want to. Because what we have now is not all that it needs to be. So King James in April of 1604 set out to do that, to get a new translation of the English. And what he did was he chose 54 translators, the smartest, the wisest, the greater Christians of all time of that time. A lot of them, friend, had several degrees. Some of them even knew ten languages. 
They were linguistics people. They, they, they had all kinds of understanding and clarity. They loved God. They loved the Word of God. And they went right back to Erasmus, the Texas Receptus. And out of these 54 men, 47 of them were living. Some died, some left, some this, but there was 47. And then he broke them up into two groups. He had two groups in Cambridge College. He had two groups in Oxford College. He had two groups in Westminster College. And these two groups, they would all take a portion of the Bible and they would go through it, these two groups, in each of these three locations. And for five years, they did the Old Testament with the Masoretic, with the Masoretic text and they did the New Testament with the Texas Receptus text. For five years, in these, two, in these three different groups, putting the Bible together. They would, at the end of the five years, they would come and switch. And they would go over it again. At the end of that sixth year, there was an executive. And for the seventh year, the executive group would look over it again. And make sure that everything that is written is right out of the manuscripts that have been from the originals and the Texas Receptus of your rest masses. That year was 1611. The Bible was completed. The King James Bible was preserved and authorized wholly for English people, English speaking people. King James ordered 20,000 copies. During that day, they had three printers. And the reason why tonight what you have in your hand is not the 1611 uh, King James Bible. What you have in your hand is the 1769 edition. It's because for five years, they had to, whenever they had those printers, those printers uh, were, you know, they were just printers, not very good, and they would misprint. And so they had to go through the whole Bible Again, and make sure that the misprints are not misprinted on a word or not a dot or a semicolon. And for it took five years for them to get it right. And the edition of 1769 is the edition you have in your hand here today. That's what you got if you got a King James Bible. We have in our hands tonight, without a shadow of a doubt, the preserved Word of God. We don't have to look no more. We don't have to wonder no more. This is the Word of God. Amen? You can mark it down. I gave you the history of it. It's remarkable. And all that God did so that you can have a Word of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to God that that's what we have tonight. There are no other Bibles that there was inspired by each word that was inspired. And no other Bible that's been preserved as this Bible. And no other Bible that published this truth. Let's have, if you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 with me. Verse 23. And I'll close here tonight with this thought. 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, by the word of God, 
which liveth and abideth forever. What we have in our hands tonight, church, is a Bible called the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever. It has so much power. The only way you can be born again is through this book. Why? Well, because the originals were inspired. The manuscripts were put together by the preservation of God. Working in the Roman empires, working in everybody's lives, bringing forth what we have tonight and come to 2024, and we've got a Bible that liveth and abideth forever. The Bible says in verse 25, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Matthew 25, verse 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Do you know tonight that God used sinful men to bring the, to bring the inspiration of the Bible? Those 40 men were sinful men. Then why do you not think that God could not use sinful men to preserve the Bible? Amen? You know, it all boils down to this, is faith. Is that right? Tonight, we've got to have faith that what we have in our hand is the infallible, inerrant, authoritative, preserved Word of God for practice and for doctrine. What we have tonight does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Amen? It's not, it's not something to take. It is. You can hold up your King James Version Bible tonight and you could say what the psalmist said in Psalms 119. Don't you turn there with me tonight. I was going to quit there, but I want you to show you this. Look at Psalms 119, 140. Two more verses and we'll close. Psalms 119. Look at 140. The Bible says, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Tonight, we could say about this Bible that it's pure, it's perfect, placed in heaven. It's been preserved. And if it's been preserved, it's because it's been inspired. Tonight, without error, without infallibility, no man's breath, no man's hand, and no man's supply. All God. He worked it through the Roman Empire. He worked it from people out of the Netherlands. He worked it through people out of Syria. He worked with people out of Antioch. Can I say something to you tonight? He never went to Egypt. And anything out of Egypt tonight is corrupt. You'll know what I mean by that later. Last verse is this, Luke chapter 4, verse 36. I would like for us to adopt this tonight in our minds and our hearts as we go home in just a moment or go to the fellowship hall rather. Luke 4, 36, about the middle of that verse, it says, And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this. What a word is this. 
Here I'll be tonight when we walk out of here saying, what a word this is. I'm just overwhelmed tonight. I'm just tonight in the place of really unspeakable words that the God of this universe, the creator, the creator of all things, would love me enough to inspire the Bible and then preserve the manuscripts and bring the country of Rome and the Catholic Church into a place and overcome them too and end up with a King James Bible. What a word is this. Let's stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You don't know how much study that is, church. It sure wasn't in the amount of time I preached it, I promise you. But I wanted to give that to you because I believe it's important for the year 2024 that we know who God is. And we know who Jesus Christ is. And we know His Word. Amen. Next Sunday night, I want to bring to you the other side of all the other versions besides the King James Version. Next Sunday night, you come and I'll explain to you what every Bible, except the King James Version Bible, what their text is. And why their text is different than this text. I'll tell you why next, next Sunday night. If you need to come to the, script, to the altar tonight, maybe to lay down before the Lord because you're just not saved. Just don't know Jesus tonight. Christ is not your Lord. This Bible has no meaning to you. You don't read it. You don't believe it. You don't trust in it. And you don't love it. Tonight, the reason why is because you don't have Jesus. Because if you had Jesus tonight, this word, who is Jesus, would be in a way of a relationship and fellowship with your life. You couldn't help tonight but take it and put it upon thy heart. Matter of fact, the Bible says, If I hide thy word in my heart, that I might not sin against God. Did you know what's going to keep you from sinning against God? This word. Oh God, help us tonight. Help us to take your word serious and soberly. You say, what's well, just a black book? It's the Holy Bible. It's what God's given us. You sing, Brother George. If you need to come, you come. You can't fight God and win, I promise you. Won't you come tonight and give your heart to Jesus? Won't you lay down your life before Him? Some of y'all tonight are playing games. You're not serious. You're not serious because you're not serious about the Bible. You're not serious about it at all. Help, Lord. You don't care. Some of your kids tonight, when your parents are giving a devotion, you're daydreaming, you're thinking about other things. You don't want to have a devotion. Some of your spouses tonight, your spouse wants to have a devotion and read the Bible and pray, but you don't want to do that. You want to watch TV. You want to look at your phone. And there's some... Spouses tonight, your spouse does want to have a devotion and what does want to go through the scripture, but you're too busy and you just don't have time and so you don't do it and your family is out. 
Do you have a Bible? Well, I guess a better question is this tonight. Does the Bible have you? That's the question. Am I surrendered unto the Word of God? Am I? Am I? Yes, amen. I'm praying about this. I ask you to pray with me. I, I want to also teach the church this year about where the church came from. How we got this church. How do we get here? How do we get here on 211 on Brand Lane? How we call the Baptist Church. Why? Why we call just the church? Why call Baptist Church? God give us help on that. That's a lot of studying. It's a lot of diving into history. It's a lot of bringing things out. God gives us that direction. We, we'll go there. You pray for me. Let's be dismissed today with a word of prayer. Thank you for being here. May the Lord bless you. I pray that you would be that servant that loves the Word of God. Mm. God, help me tonight. All right, let's be dismissed tonight. Brother Keith, if you would dismiss this, my brother. See